G'day there, guys, and welcome back to Blowing Cartridges Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Zachary Clark, as always, joined by my lovely co-host, Brendan. Brendan, how are things in this uh, busy April month for you? Yeah, it's going well, Zach. We've just gone through a couple of long weekends. We had the Easter weekend, of course, which is probably a bit pertinent to the topic of this episode, and then we had the Anzac Day long weekend as well so it's just about getting back into the grind of work at the moment and uh i'm sure it's the same on your end as well yeah very much so i think a mixture of long weekends and i feel like everyone uh, that i know uh, including myself was a bit bit under the weather whether covid or a cold or a flu or something like that so i think it's um i think the culmination of everything is is just it's been a lot of people off and now coming back you know hopefully refreshed and ready to get going which is exactly where we're at now with the podcast after a bit of a break, um, again, for a number of reasons, but we're back and ready to go. Uh, and yes, as you alluded to, we, you know, like Orthodox Easter takes place a week after, well, I don't know, the the standard Easter, I don't know what the right term would be for that one, Christian Easter, I guess, uh, or Catholic Easter, Blowing Cartridges Easter takes place like somewhere in the three to four five, maybe even six, who knows, whenever this goes up, week range after regular Easter. And we've just got Easter eggs on the mind, and not just the chocolate uh, candy variety, but the type you see in video games. Um, and we just wanted to sort of talk a little bit about it, because we're sort of in that Eastery mood still, probably just, you know, finishing off the last of our Cadbury cream eggs after a few weeks and um, ready to, to bounce, so... I almost made an Easter Bunny joke with a bouncing, so it's you know that's just how Eastery I am. But yes, the concept of an Easter egg, you know, it's some people might not even know what that actual term actually means, uh, and that's that's fair enough, uh, or where it comes from even. So the original Easter egg concept for a, for a video game, at least, and potentially you know a, a term that originated in video games. I'm not too sure if it um, occurred elsewhere from what I can you know I did a bit of reading before we started recording but it came from you know one of the earlier Atari 2600 games uh, adventure where the programming uh, the programmer of the game because back in those days one person pretty much could code a whole game quite easily and release it on you know store shelves uh, Warren uh, Robinette hit a um, a secret sort of room basically in the in the adventure the game that required quite a you know bit of going out of your way and doing some side quests. I'm not going to spoil the whole method in case you want to go find it out for yourself if you're playing your, your Atari 2600 in the year 2022. But basically, just a hidden thing that's a little surprise, a little treat for those who manage to discover it, but completely non-essential for uh, the video game experience or the core video game experience. Uh, and you know, since then, I think the concept has grown and uh, changed and taken on a number of different meanings and varieties in the field of video games, uh, as well as even in movies, books, um, other mediums now where people often refer to, you know, you can probably find top 10 Easter eggs in Doctor Strange or Batman or something like that at the moment uh, if you search, you know, YouTube um, or if your YouTube feeds like me, just feeds that stuff to me is recommended all the time. But yeah, I might pause there and just say, you know, Brendan, what, what are your thoughts or what's your general feelings about easter eggs in in gaming i think you're right in that i might be wrong but i think it is a term that originated with video games and it is very video gamey if you know what i mean it's it's sort of it's synonymous with video games like easter eggs because i think in other mediums there's probably better terms that will fit i guess what an easter egg does because in a lot of times and in a lot of ways, Easter eggs are, I guess, self-referential. They they it, it can they can be in jokes. They can be referring to perhaps other games that a particular developer has 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 made, or they could be references to pop culture or or a range of different things. But I think within the if we're looking higher level, the term itself it it evokes the idea of an Easter egg hunt. It evokes the idea of the, these are things that you have to seek out, and I think. I'm sure we'll dive into it a bit deeper and we'll discuss the different types and our favourites and a whole manner of different things. But at its heart, I think the really good Easter eggs are the ones that they are somewhat of a reward. That you you go off the beaten track. You you probably do you in some cases you might be doing things you're not supposed to be doing in the game and you'll find hints or 
you'll find a glitch that also can be a Easter egg. And I think it, it just adds an extra layer to some particular games. It adds an incentive for exploration and pushing the boundaries of games. So I think as a whole, they can be quite fun. And also in many ways, they are a bit of a niche in that you can play many games that have Easter eggs and you, if you're not knowledgeable of them, you might miss it. If you're not searching them out, you might miss them. So they're for a particular type of gamer as well. Yeah, and I think this is a good point to now sort of talk about what people seem to use the term for now and, as you said, compare it to maybe the origins and I think that probably also dovetail well into what we think makes a good Easter egg. But these days, I feel like a lot of people use it in relation to, as you said, a something self-referential or really just like a, a cameo or a little nod to something, you know, which are probably, I think, better words to use, but they all sort of now fall under the, the category of an Easter egg. So, you know, it might be something like, um, again, a famous example is uh, in like Zelda Ocarina of Time, there's like a, a, a little portrait of Mario and or Bowser and stuff in, in the Hyrule Castle as an example, or, you know, um, I know in like Ghost of Tsushima, actually, for example, there's uh, some Sly Cooper references um, and gear uh, from previous works by Sucker Punch. You know, I'm sure we can go on and on, but basically these these little secret things that just sort of give a nod to another game or something else in the broader series. Uh, and that's what the term is often used for in movies and books and stuff, because you can't really hunt for things so much in a, in a movie or a book. It's more... I guess spotting them often little background details um, that might reference something, uh, you know, again, Marvel movies you'll see all the time, like here's, you know, top 10 Easter eggs or things you didn't notice uh, that they've referenced in the background. And to me, while those are cool, it's very nice to see nods to other things that fans of, of uh, a company or a uh, particular series can go, oh, that's, you know, that's neat. When they're just sort of there and they're not particularly hidden or anything, I don't. I, it isn't quite as exciting as, as you said, the hunt, which I think is why the term Easter egg was used, because it, it was a hunt to find that original Easter egg in adventure, and a lot of the best Easter eggs are hidden in some way. It doesn't necessarily have to be the most complicated way, um, but they aren't something you you know are guaranteed to experience just by playing through the game. And, you know, I think in some ways it's just because there is an element, I guess you could say, of hunting. Like, you could, in theory, go through an entire game and try and find all the cameos and make a little list. And I guess that's kind of like a hunt. But to me, it's it's more when you actually have to do a series of actions or commands in a game in order to locate it, which I think makes a really fun and a really cool Easter egg in a video game and really takes advantage of, again, what this medium can do which others can't, which is that interactive piece uh, that uh, makes it so special. Well, exactly. And I think picking up some of your strands there, an example that springs to mind is actually from one that we discussed in depth a couple of months ago, that Paper Mario Origami King on the Switch has a few Easter eggs that are sort of in your face quite blatant, like when there's a section of the game where there's those paper mache heads that you can put on Mario there's a Samus one there just randomly and it goes in your inventory and I think it even has a purpose in the game that you use it and it's just seen as this weird and bizarre thing to have and yes that's that's an easter egg if you've never played Samus or that's your first Mario game you'd have no idea what it's about but it's it's there for the fans and I think that sort of is an example of where fan service and easter eggs can sort of merge in that it's not the most clear-cut term these days i would say because you could easily argue that oh that's not an easter egg that's just a as i said that's just fan service that's just a reference to something else so it's interesting to think if there is a distinction there or not yeah in some ways i feel like there is if you want to discuss it like we are today but at the same time most people don't bother to to distinguish between the two which i think is a little bit of a shame because there are words that are appropriate, whether it's, you say, it's fan service, whether it's cameos, whether it's um, just reference, really, reference to to another game, you know, that's, I think, or another thing, I think that's often fine language to use. But again, I think these days it's it's just become so ambiguous with the term Easter egg that that's just the broad umbrella these, these all fall under. 
So the way I kind of think about it is, uh, you know, there's you, you got your eggs that are like hidden, and I'm doing quotation marks with my fingers uh, for the little, you know, kids <laughs> when you go on an Easter egg hunt with a with a big family, and then you have the ones that are maybe properly hidden for maybe some of the older kids to find, and I think that's kind of where you see those uh, differences between, as you said, like a Samus head that is unavoidable uh, in just playing through the course of the game and, and very obvious uh, versus something which you have to go out of your way to to locate and, um, you know, unlock or whatever the right term is uh, in, in Discover, I suppose, in a specific game, which I think probably dovetails quite well into talking about what makes a a good easter egg in our mind but also then probably leads straight into also some of our favorite easter eggs and to me the best kind of easter eggs are incredibly difficult to find to be honest like i I, particularly in this modern day and age where we have so many people with access to the skill set of data mining and hacking through games to find stuff i think coming up with a way to hide something really well in a game so no one finds it you know day one on of launch is is what i want to see in my easter eggs like something that takes even if it's just a few weeks great if it's even longer for people to discover that's what i love and i love those random you know you get a news article like you know this thing found 20 years later in a, in a game from the Super Nintendo or something that's always a, a fun article to read whenever that pops up. So that's interesting. So you find, I guess, the fandom around Easter eggs more interesting or exciting than, I guess, actually finding them yourself. So let's say you played Ghost of Tsushima and you finished it and you enjoyed it and then five and you think it's a great game and then three years later someone is also playing it and they, or they've been playing it all those years and they find something interesting or something that, no one actually knew was there and there's news articles on or PC Gamer or whatever website we're talking about here, IGN and the like of running things and there's videos and you might read an article or watch one of those and you might think, oh, that's really neat and that's quite clever how they put that in and then, I don't know, maybe that remains in your memory or maybe you sort of file it away somewhere in your mind and then move on. Um, I guess I'm not criticising your view, of course, in this point. I just yeah, find yeah. it interesting that... I guess that that's sort of your view of what an Easter egg is, because I guess personally, I don't think about this topic when we decided to talk about it. I think it's just such a murky term that I, I it's hard for me to think what my favorite Easter egg is. And even the ones that I could say are my favorite and the ones I enjoy the most, some people might say they aren't Easter eggs, they're something else entirely. So, no, it's it's interesting. It's more being a part of the community of video gaming than actually experiencing yourself, would you say? Or do you think there's... Yeah, I think that's a that's a big element of it, for me at least. I mean, don't get me wrong. I enjoy, you know, when I'm playing Donkey Kong Country and I see a, a Metroid, like a Ridley sort of figure in the background and going, oh, that's neat, that's Ridley. And I, I get my nice hit of dopamine uh, for, for noticing that. But I, I just think the ones that are always super impressive... Um, are ones that require quite a bit of effort to to locate. And a lot of them aren't even, like, content that is particularly that interesting. It's just sometimes the fact that it's that challenging or that difficult to locate that makes it that fascinating to me. I will add a couple of that additional points, though, that I think would make, makes it better. Probably a big one is I love it when there is a way that you can logically figure it out if you were playing the game because... Every now and then you'll hear about a secret or an unlock in a in a video game and you're like, how the hell was anyone supposed to figure it out? You know, there's like, there's no hint, there's nothing in the game or even in the broader context of maybe the fandom that gives you information to think that you're even able to do the things that you do to unlock the, the Easter egg, you know, uh, one that comes to mind is uh probably about 10 years ago it was discovered but in of itself that was probably 10 years from when the game came out was uh in wave race blue storm on the gamecube which i think was a launch title or close to launch Mm -hmm. um from memory yeah they about 10 years after the game came out someone discovered this unlock for an alternate uh announcer in the game who could speak to the like player quite condescendingly and quite rude which is a very odd easter egg in many respects coming back to my point sometimes the reward isn't even all that great really but like 
the way of getting it was effectively like you had to go to like an audio settings menu. You had to wait for a specific waveform to form on the bottom of of the menu where there's like waves bouncing back and forth. You had to then press like Z a number of times until you saw the waveform rise to a certain height. Then use the D-pad and the buttons to press uh, what effectively is a, a shimmy together Konami code, you know, ripoff with different button commands, but pretty similar, like up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, AX, and then that is Z or Z. Uh, and then that triggers the new announcer to unlock effectively. So, you know, in some ways, the Konami code, that's a cool reference. That's kind of like a universal unlock code in games these days. So I'm okay with that. That's a bit of you know, logic there, but for someone to spend enough time on the audio settings to think, to A, notice any peculiarities in the waves down below, to notice that if they press Z, the waves start to get higher and higher, and think, I'm going to keep pressing it and see how high they go, and then think to do the Konami code after that is just such a obscure set of commands that Unless maybe they, someone now can find where they've hinted at it, it's it's just so odd, you know. Like, like it's cool that it was that hard to find, but the only thing that could make that better for me was if there was some way in the game that it was at least trying to throw someone towards that path to think there's something there. I just need to find it. You know what I mean? I see what you mean. It's that offer of it's it's sort of there's subtle hints and you think that there might be something there and it's worth pursuing and you can try different things and you might luck out and discover something that you didn't even expect would be there and then I guess as gaming goes you can go on Twitter or online and you find out that other people have stumbled across it if it's a relatively new game or if it's an older game or there's probably examples of it of other people pulling it off and it also makes me think of the reverse moments where it looks like there could be an Easter egg. It looks like there could be something there and there's not. And I think the most famous one of that would be the original Pokemon games with Mew and the that car that, well, that was a popular rumor that you could somehow get to this car near, oh, I can't even remember what town it is. You probably do. You're the Pokemon mega fan here. And like somehow Mew would be around there. And um, I remember my friends and I, we all tried to, get to this particular point part of the game to to see if it was real and uh well of course it wasn't but it's that i guess it's the allure it's a promise that something might be there or something might be possible that i guess drives you to as i was saying in the opening push the game to the limits or just keep on playing the game to see if you can find something new and sort of unexpected in the game that you've been enjoying yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, that that's a really interesting point you bring up because there are there's there's like always that certain video game logic that uh, I think gets ingrained in you a little bit after a few years of playing games, um, particularly anything with an exploration component, right? You know, it's like always check behind waterfalls because there's probably a something hidden behind there, or you know, go around every corridor in a in a in a dungeon or a tunnel. Um, to make sure, you know, you get every little item or secret. And I think, yeah, 100% sometimes that leads people to these, like, you know, false hopes of finding something incredibly cool and incredibly secret, only to, to really not find anything at all. Uh, and that Pokemon one's a really good example. It's like, you got to wonder how that originated, because there's nothing particularly, there's no particular reason that there, there should have been new there. It was just like, it's this random truck that is inaccessible, by most means for the most part so you have to like surf at a point when you don't have surf but then later on when you get surf in theory that area shouldn't surfable too i suppose and i think people just because of how the fact you could see it the fact it was there people just made a rumor around it combined it with the fact that we knew Mew was like coded in the game because you could access it through a series of glitches i think that just made for the perfect storm Uh, and i think later in the remakes they actually put like an item you get from going to the truck. Uh, so uh, I think, you know, a good little nod back to the um, original rumor that in, in, and the new nod is in many ways, a, that is an Easter egg in my mind because it still takes you a bit to get out of, uh, you have to go out of the way to get to the truck and then you're rewarded with it. It's like nothing from memory, like a nugget or an ultra ball or something, or a rare candy maybe. I can't remember what, what you get, but um, just acknowledging like, oh yeah, if you're aware of this rumor from back in the 90s and you try to, See if it worked this time. Um, yeah, here's a little thing. 
which again I think just further emphasizes my point that the reward almost matters less because even though it wasn't new I think just the fact they acknowledged it and put that into the remakes on Game Boy Advance uh, I'm not sure if it works on Let's Go Pikachu and Let's Go Eevee on the uh, on the Switch but I think that's a very cool Easter egg and I, th- I think that's the sort of Easter eggs I enjoy because there's that acknowledgement of the fandom there's that acknowledgement of the people who have played the games in that series before and and had those vivid memories, have those experiences of, oh, I remember going to this spot and I remember all my friends saying that there was going to be something there and there's not. Let me, uh, in this remake, I'm going to try to go there as well and see if there's anything there and, oh, that's neat, there is. Clearly the developers are recognising that. And there's a few, there's well, there's numerous examples of that happening in, I guess, sequels to games and, one that springs to mind is um, in Diablo 2 with the cow level that yeah. there's this weird joke throughout the entirety of um, Diablo 1 that, oh, if you click these cows enough, that'll transport you to a, a level and um, or the cow level, even though it was a complete fabrication. When it came around to Diablo 2, the developers put the cow level in and there was these anthropomorphic cows wielding halberds in sort of this hellscape level and... I guess there was a bit of a mixed reaction, I think, in some sections of the fandom, whether it was a good thing or not that that was there. But I I think it's just a fun, amusing wink that the developers made to the fans and the players of the previous game. And I think that just shows what the medium of games can do, that you can do on a visual representation point of view in a film, for example, and in a book you can do it too with words. But as we always say, it's that interactivity element that makes the experience in games just that much different yeah 100 percent. our diablo examples are a really good one because they carry that on through the whole well for the three games i guess they have now with um diablo 3 they did the the whimsy shire um like unicorn world which was kind of in and of itself an extension of the cow level from two um and i'm sure diablo 4 will have something as well and you're right, there are quite a ton of great examples. I mean, obviously, uh, there's Grand Theft Auto's Yeti um, or Bigfoot example where I think it was, I feel like it was San Andreas. Maybe it was a different one, but they, everyone thought there was a Yeti. They tried to find the Yeti. There was all these rumors around finding this particular Yeti, but no one really could. And then in I think, GTA V, they officially put the Yetis in, I think, as, as part of some update. Uh, and there was a quest or a story, you know, a side mission to actually... Uh, find and hunt them and stuff so i think that's always really cool like taking on what the fans have come up with and 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 running with it and another really cool example i mean it's quite famous is just i mean it's mortal Kombat and how they have interacted with secrets and fan concepts and implemented them into the core games over the years you know obviously the big one was back in the arcades um in the original builds, like, I don't know if it was original, but one of the earlier builds, uh, every now and then people would encounter Reptile, like this green ninja similar to um, Sub-Zero or Scorpion, and fight him. And there was all these, you know, rumors around how do you get, unlock this fight, how do you do it? Because, you know, it just seemed to happen at random for a lot of people. And then ultimately, through the years, Reptile has been just a standard playable character now in, in the games. But they also do other stuff, like take fan characters and other recolors and they just just make them into characters because you know they're really in tune with their fan base and from what i you know there's some really good inter- uh, interviews with ed Boon and um, other people i'm sure from um gosh i'm blanking on it the team that makes mortal Kombat. i know they're owned by warner brothers never uh, uh never 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 realm. Makes sense. yeah i was gonna say Neversoft. i'm like no that's that's tony hawk <laughs> but anyway yeah <laughs> netherrealm and that's another series with a lot of secrets in it yeah but netherrealm and how they played with the fact back in the, the day that you would upgrade and update arcade builds, right? Like kind of like how we get patches and stuff in, in modern days, but someone physically had to go around to an arcade machine and update it with the newest build. Uh, and that was a great way of spreading these rumors because, you know, you'd go to this one arcade, you'd update it with some secret in it, someone would discover it, and then it, it sort of just, you know, spreads throughout the arcade community, um, which is something that's a little bit, lost i think in modern day gaming because again so many people are playing these games simultaneously and we have so many avenues of communicating with each other these things become very quickly spread and verifiable online 
and there's not as much chance for them to percolate as like myths and mysteries uh, throughout the community and through the culture of gaming. And I think that's ultimately the change that's happened with Easter eggs in that it used to be very much you'd only find out in gaming magazines if anything else. And of course, not everyone who played games read gaming magazines and you wouldn't necessarily know people who read those magazines or you might know one person who did and that's where a lot of those rumors began that someone would say oh i read nintendo well not nintendo power for us because we're in australia but well whatever the equivalents were in the day there's numerous ones i could list off here but the reality is that was the main source of information and now i think it's gone that really Going back to your earlier point about the types of Easter eggs you like, that like the ones that are so buried in a game that you might not find out about them for months or years, those are the only ones left that really have that, I guess, aura around them, has the mystique around them of it's not clear, you don't, you won't find out very quickly. It it, it builds up. There's um there's more gravitas to it, even if it sort of involves doing weird things in the game, like kneeling in certain places or looking like. It's all rare, all glitching through the world. Some of them are, and you see like assets that have probably were in the game but taken out or just used as filler, and like those counted Easter eggs these days as well. So the dynamics of it all has definitely changed. Like it's not like the that original Easter egg you started the episode discussing the um, adventure where if you were one of the first people playing that game, you you could have theoretically come across that room. Yes, it's unlikely, but you could have and it wasn't a couple of clicks away on the internet to find the way to get there it was it, it took more effort and i think the reward met the effort yeah exactly and I, and i think it's just now become a it's why those ones that don't get discovered for a while are so impressive is not only the effort the hunter the easter egg hunter has to go through but the, the effort it takes for a developer to make an easter egg that is hard to find is is incredibly challenging again because so many people hack and data mine and all that kind of stuff i mean i know it's not always going to give you enough to figure out how to find it in in game and and that kind of stuff but people will find like oh yeah like there's this particular model in the code we just need to find it kind of thing and i I suppose there's probably a lot of developers you know banking on that like they know their their game's going to be ripped apart and people are going to find models of certain things and they're like you might know the models in there but now you got to figure out where it is and how to find it and i'm sure that is um something a lot of the more uh, dedicated Easter egg programming people, like developers, who want to put those secrets in the game are are cognizant of and um, now build into their games. Um, I want to quickly just take a moment to talk about, there was a brief, I don't know if a brief is the right word, but there's definitely been a period of time, I'd say again maybe 10, maybe even more years ago, where there are actually quite a few good series on YouTube or other video sites. Um, these days you can probably find them all on YouTube. Exploring the idea of investigating Easter eggs or secrets in games. Uh, and I want to call a few of them out because I, 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 they were really well produced and really fun to watch back in the day. I think whether they stand up now is probably hard to hard to say. Um, and I'd, I'd be curious to see if you'd watched any of them back in the day, Brendan. But the first one was from Game Trailers, their pop fiction series mm-hmm. um yeah yeah that was that's probably my favorite one where they tackled stuff like the the chris hulahan room in um you know a link to the past or i think there was like this one secret we knew was in Mega Man 9 but we you know that uh kg and afune said oh there's still one thing no one's found not no more than that was was known and they spent a lot of time <laughs> trying to figure out what that last secret was and I think getting through like 999 stages or something or screens on some like endless Mega Man mode to try and find it. And I've always found those series really cool. And I, and there was another one I used to watch called Egg Busters, which is also quite good, a bit more quirky by uh, Any Austin, I think is the name of the, the YouTuber. But he also, coming back to what do you call an Easter egg, he also did a lot of glitch like exploration. Like he, he would sort of find glitches that were like barely detailed online on like game facts and stuff and just say okay does this actually work because like i can't find a youtube video about it so let's give it a shot which i think probably stood to show the change in how a few true programmed in intentional secrets were left in games that hadn't already been covered at least once or twice in a 
in another video or by another creator or these days probably summarized in a did you know gaming video <laughs> something that, that goes through everything so he had to sort of delve more into these not so much intended easter eggs but accidental ones i suppose to me though when those those series were really thriving and really popular it really was kind of i guess the end of that that period where things were incredibly like still enough mystery around them still enough people not looking into things uh that you know you weren't seeing things like again like Elden Ring coming out day one and most things coming to light within that first you know at least week or so of of its existence I'm sure I'll say that and then an article will come out in June about something someone finds in Elden Ring that no one's seen before but for the most part, you know, you're not seeing a lot of Easter egg hunting video series, at least that I'm aware of. I mean, you know, if you're listening to this and you know a good one that's still ongoing, please tweet at me uh, at Agarino. <laughs> Let me know because I'd love to love to watch them. And, and again, it just comes back to that, how easy it is for this information to spread and be verified in the year 2022. Well, exactly. One person can find it, make a video, make a pretty decent video of it, and then everyone well, knows it exists and knows how to do it and they can replicate it. And it's very much that the dissemination of the ability to make those videos and the ease that it is to make it, get a YouTube channel or put a video together or stream on Twitch that wasn't there 15 or 10, 15, 20 years ago that is there now. And it's very much changed the dynamics of, I guess, a phenomenon that was always very social in its um in many ways that there was that desire that if you found an easter egg you'd want to tell as many people as possible it's there's the element that is fulfilling on your end that you can find something like that and you think oh that's fantastic that's really interesting it's great i found that but it's um you, you had that desire to share it with other people and the other thing that makes once again makes us think about what the term and the meaning of easter egg actually means in that how do you, what's the difference between just an Easter egg that was intentionally put in there by a developer or a glitch that's accidentally in the game, but then, I guess, as I mentioned, perhaps allows you to see some assets in the game that were sort of just left over there in the code that you can now you can see different things and people will say, oh, that's an Easter egg and this is how you do it. Or do they have to be intentional or do they have to be accidental or does it really matter at the end, the end of the day? I, I don't know. Yeah, it's a good point. Because um, I think, in some ways, I guess, like, those unintentional ones are even more fun because you've literally had to find, you know, unless you're hacking the game, but if you've, if you've found that through just a, a glitch that you can anyone can access without any additional tools or trying to get into the code of the game and, and find that, it's actually a really impressive, you know, hunt in a way, right? Because it, it's often finding the necessary glitches and tricks to get to out-of-bounds areas is very 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 um challenging and there's i mean a lot of people do glitch hunting not only just for the sake of finding glitches but for you know speed running right which a lot of those really impressive like how the hell do you beat pokemon in three minutes are because people have found a series of, of glitches that allow you to achieve those impressive feats so in some ways you know that that is kind of like the modern easter egg hunt you know, is finding these cool glitches in games, uh, which is why I think the term is broadening. And, you know, it's, it's, in some ways, those rewards, uh, those are more rewarding hunts because certain speedrunners will absolutely, who are prolific in the community and have a lot of, a big profile, will actually put bounties and like, cash rewards for finding particular glitches. Like, if you, if you can save me 10 seconds on finding a way to skip this particular cutscene or this section of a game, I will you know, the first one to find a way to do that, I'll give you a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks or something like that. It's quite interesting. Providing incentives like that always does add a extra element to it all, doesn't it? Yeah, a hundred percent. But now it's probably a good time to start talking about some of Easter eggs we've experienced or really, you know, stick out in our memories through our history of gaming. I've got a few, so I might throw to you first, Brendan, just to see if you have any you want to uh, go off and then I'll maybe do a couple and then see if you've I've jogged your memory in a few more and we can just go back and forth until we really have run out of ones we want to talk about. <laughs> I guess I'll start with one that perhaps isn't an Easter egg, though, because in some way, I, I guess are we saying that cheat codes are Easter eggs? I, I don't yeah, know why not? Are. Yeah, yeah, they're programmed in. And I think 
the Rogue Squadron series have always done it quite well. And uh, one of my favourites was the original Rogue Squadron that had the Buick as a Easter egg in that a particular cheat code would unlock this flying Buick that could shoot lasers that was apparently modelled after one of the developers at Factor 5 who owned a Buick and it was a bit of an in-joke <laughs> in the studio and they someone thought, oh, we'll, we'll put the Buick in and see how that goes. And uh, it, it doesn't fly particularly well. It's You don't really want to use it, but I just always found it very amusing and, and um, very um, entertaining. And I guess the second one that's in that series is in was it it's, it was either the 64 one or rogue lead on the gamecube but just trying no it would have been the 64 one that there was a cheat code that unlocked the the naboo starfighter from phantom menace because it, the game released just before um phantom menace released in the in 1999 and it was quite cool to be able to use that um spaceship in a in a game that was very much modeled after i guess the original trilogy of star wars movies so you could it was a bit of a merge between the different the two trilogies, which was a great, I guess, a great example of fan service and a great example of an Easter egg that directly impacts the gameplay of a game. Yeah, and and that probably leans quite well in the one that I want to talk about as well, which is uh, Metal Gear Solid, the original, or Twin Snakes on the mm-hmm. GameCube, whichever version you're playing. And most people probably know where I'm going with this. Um, but the Psycho Mantis fight, which will either have an Easter egg in it or it won't, depending on what is on your memory card. And <laughs> I think that's a very cool Easter egg because, well, if you get it, if you have the correct save data, I think it's like Castlevania um, or maybe and, and Silent Hill on, on the PlayStation 1 version. And then I think, I want to say Mario is one of them, like Sunshine. And there's probably another game on, on Nintendo GameCube version. But he'll reference you having played those games. And, you know, this is probably one of the, earlier if not it's probably not the first but it'd be but definitely in the earliest numbers of, of games that do that fourth wall breaking thing i think you can almost have a genre these days of, of meta games and fourth wall breaking games but um back then it certainly was incredibly uncommon and it's just really cool because it, it rewards you in the sense of like literally if you have played these games you will get rewarded with this cool little reference and if you haven't you won't because you do need that save data on your memory card and it's just so shocking if you don't already know what's going to happen. And I feel like these days, almost everyone who has heard of Metal Gear has heard of it. So it's hard to genuinely experience that in you know, 2022. But yeah, still a very cool and very fun uh, and impressive Easter egg. And I'm sure back then probably had a lot of people trying and compiling lists of what games do work on it. Because again, it was it was pre the era of just hacking in the code and, and finding all the lines of dialogue and seeing which ones were present. You know, people would have actually had to try a bunch of memory cards with different game saves to see if anyone else um, triggered a, that line of dialogue. I was very young when that game first came out, but if you read up on, I guess, people's accounts and their experiences first playing and their recollections when they first played that game, like I know there was, there's many cases of people being quite freaked out by that fourth wall breaking of psychomantis and not just with the memory cards the whole having to change the slot of your controller in the console and and all that that it really added that it enhanced the experience and and the easter egg element of it with the quoting of the games on your memory card just added an extra dimension to it all that really uh, i guess made it much more satisfying and and still does to this day even if you even if it's quite well known as you say even though everyone who has a passing knowledge of metal gear knows that that is a aspect of that encounter it still it still brings a lot of enjoyment to the table yeah and, and i mean it's not the only thing right like in metal gear as a series or probably even metal gear solid one there are quite a few just weird little things that you can discover through doing very odd interactions and you know i, I recommend if you're, you're playing through a metal gear as a series you know, either look up some of the fun ones or just really experiment around with various things because, um, again, there's just some really odd and fun things which Kojima and his team have uh, hidden um, or made, you know, function in, in their games. So, yeah, definitely a really prime series for doing a, a, a cool little Easter egg hunt. Given the first Easter egg you want to discuss was uh, Metal Gear related, well, my second one also is Metal Gear related in some ways. And 
rings truth to what you just said about Metal Gear involving a lot of Easter eggs. Oh, I guess in some ways this is a Metal Gear Easter egg not in a Metal Gear game, and that would be from Super Smash Brothers Brawl in the Shadow mm. Moses Island stage. If you're playing as Snake and uh, you use the taunt, you can bring up all the codex entries for all the other Super Smash Brothers characters, and I've always... I always really enjoyed that, and that's also one I didn't realise was there until I think I read something online or saw one of those early YouTube or game trailer videos where people detailed it all. But it's very enjoyable writing. It um, has a lot of in-jokes about all the different characters, and it's very much keeping with the spirit of Metal Gear, and I think that that's an example of an Easter egg that really juggles all those elements really well together and puts it together that makes it a satisfying experience to the fans of Metal Gear and also just the fans of those Super Smash Brothers characters in general because when I first encountered it, I hadn't played a Metal Gear Solid game. My first encounter with Metal Gear Solid was through Super Smash Brothers Brawl and subsequently I got Twin Snakes on GameCube and had a go playing through that. So uh, that was a really satisfying one that always sticks to my mind. Yeah, because it's not, just to be even more specific, it's not even just doing the taunt, it's like, mashing the taunt buttons up and down multiple times in a way that you just wouldn't be doing <laughs> unless you were trying to unlock a secret, which ticks on that sort of first point I have where it's like, oh, it's it's got to be something that you got to kind of hunt for. And, and there, that is definitely a hunt. And what's very cool is, is not only does it work in Brawl, it obviously now works in um, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate as well, if you have that game. I think probably more people have their Switches plugged in in their Wii's these days. Uh, but also, they for Smash Wii U, and then they've carried this forward again to Ultimate because Snake wasn't in that game. They basically did a very similar thing with Pit on, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's Palutena's Temple or something yep. like that. Yep. Is the, yeah, yeah, literally the same way of unlocking it, just Pit instead of Snake, and then again it's carried forward into uh, Smash Ultimate. So yeah, definitely, you know, it's a good fun. Well, these days it's probably like. On, in Ultimate, it's probably like a good 30 minutes each just to sit down and get through all the characters. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a fun fun little secret. And it's always a fun party trick as well. Like, I don't know if, you, if you're like me, every now and then when you've got a new person playing Smash, uh, I would always like, oh, let's just go on Shadow Moses and hope they uh, ignored me for long enough to quickly do the taunt thing. And then you're like, what the hell is this like codec thing happening that confuses the hell out of people sometimes? I might move on to probably what is my absolute favorite Easter egg in games. And it's one that spans multiple games. Uh, and I, I've got a lot to say about this particular one because it's one I want to inspire people for because there's still a hunt to be had, <laughs> which uh, is always, which is why I think I love it so much. And that is, um, so there's a composer that works at uh, Nintendo. Ah, uh, uh, yep. Yes, uh, Kazumi Totaka, who has worked on quite a number of games and series in the uh, Nintendo world. He's also quite famous for being the voice of Yoshi and also K.K. Slider. He's not the voice of K.K. Slider, but that character is based off him with his name being Tota K.K. in Japanese, which is very similar to Totaka's sort of name when condensed a little bit. And this man is hidden a little song in... Almost every game he has been a composer on, or potentially every game, and that's probably where I'll get to with the hunt at the end of this. So the earliest example that we know of is a little game called X, which was on the Game Boy original, which never released outside of Japan. And I remember I first discovered the concept of the song from a, a guy called Phil Bond uh, and Power at TV on YouTube. It was like a three-part series or four-part series where they went through where the song had been found and then they listed a bunch of games he'd worked on that hadn't been. And X was one that had not been found in yet. And then through his series and sort of raising the awareness of the song's existence, people found it and sent it into him to, to put up. Um, and he also used as a, as a website that I go to every now and then called it NimDB run by, um, I think it's called Fry Guy on Twitter. It's pretty inactive, but uh, they are, have a lot of resources and documentation for this song. But anyway, First found in this Game Boy song. As far as we know, it's the earliest game he worked on that has it in. Even though we have found earlier games he has worked on before that, but seemingly they do not have the song hidden in them. Um, and then he's almost consistently hidden it in one 
way, shape or form throughout the years. One of the most famous ones that most people knew was there but didn't necessarily associate him was in Mario Paint when you click the little O on the on the main menu. And the main menu in Mario Paint has quite a lot of secrets in general. But it, it would play the song. And for a long time, people just thought it was the secret Mario Paint song because that was just where people knew it from. But then there's been a number of other ways to find it. A lot of them involve waiting on various random screens in games um, from like Yoshi's Touch and Go to... Wario land on the virtual boy um this is just a ton um and you maybe wait like a minute on a specific screen and then the music will cycle through and then it'll go bam here's the song and that's a fairly consistent method of finding it then um other times uh for example in I think it's Link's Awakening on the Game Boy one of the ways you can find it there other than waiting on a particular screen an alternate way there's there's two hidden methods is naming Link Totaka so that triggers the song to play as well i think maybe only in the japanese version because you can't use the japanese characters obviously in an english copy of the game and then probably the most different method of recent years that has been found was in mario kart 8 where in the yoshi's valley track the yoshis on the side are actually humming the song uh, if you just pull up your cart next to them and listen it's very faint but you'll definitely hear it and that in general sort of summarizes the various ways it's hidden through, again, maybe 20 or so games throughout history. And why this is a fun one is because there are about three or four games, depending on your criteria, that this man has worked on where we have not found the song. And when it's three or four out of, you know, 25 or something, or probably more uh, in this day and age, you got to wonder, are they, is it just there and we haven't found it? Because... He has gone out of his way to make them really <laughs> hard to find. Like, again, th- this is one of those ones where in the games themselves, there's very little hints to find the songs. Uh, and, and these days, it's more knowing the ways they've been hidden in other, so- in other games that gives you that sort of meta context for how you might go about finding them, right? It's a lot of waiting on every screen in the game and hoping <laughs> it shows up because there's very little correlation between the types of screens. There's game overs. There's just random stages in games it's, yeah, all over the shop. There's also, I should say, Animal Crossing because he's done, I think, every Animal Crossing game. Um, if you ask KK to play KK's song, KK will play it. And as far as I'm aware, you have to ask him to play that song. It won't play randomly through just the, you know, pick me any song, KK. You have to specifically request it. Uh, and then he'll play it for you. Yeah, so I, I want to, before I go into the games it's not in, I was cu- curious to see if you've, I'm, I'm sure you have read and experienced this this particular Easter egg a bunch of times, Brendan. Oh, I have. Um, it's one I've always been watching. Well, I guess I haven't really been watching it, but it's one I've always been aware of and one I've, similar to you, perhaps not to the same extent of following it, but it's one I've always been intrigued about because I think he's an excellent composed to begin with and i think it's it's a fascinating well not fast it's just a very fun thing he's decided to do the put it to hide it in all these different games and they're all very very different games to begin with as well and uh yeah the definitely the kk animal crossing version is the one i'm um most familiar with i'd i'd say yeah i think that's probably the one most people particularly after new horizons was so popular are familiar with so that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and it's probably because it's, it's one of those things where like, even without knowing the context of the song, like, you know, people look up guides for th- getting every track for, for KK Slider and it's inevitably mentioned in that context. So, you know, and if you have an Animal Crossing game, it, you know, it's, if it's Saturday that you're listening to this or the next Saturday that <laughs> pops up, yeah, go in and, and ask KK to play KK's song and, and you'll hear it. He whistles it, doesn't he? Yeah, it's very, very basic. And then when you play, uh, play the the audio version in your, your house it's that very lo-fi you know almost game boy-esque tune that played back in the in x and and you know Link's awakening um on the, on the game boy but yeah i want i want to list out some of the games it's he's worked on but it's not been found in and if you're in the mood for a, a hunt <laughs> this is a fun one to to get involved in because if you find it you're probably going to be quite internet famous at least for a good five minutes until everyone forgets who actually found it and just focuses on the new sites of ign and whatever reporting on it and there could be others because particularly in the early days of gaming not every game had credits so for we know there's 
the game out there he's worked on that we don't know he's worked on. But uh, the first one is F1 Race on the Game Boy, which was the earliest documented game we know he's worked on. Uh, it hasn't been found there. Very likely it's not there, though, because as a Game Boy game, you can imagine that's been torn apart from a data mining perspective. And there is an interview with Dylan Cuthbert, who worked on X with Totaka, saying that X was the first game it was hidden in. But who knows if that's just him assuming it is because um, he might not. You know, I mean, he had to have been aware the song was there because he was the programmer. He must have helped, helped him hide it. But he might not know if uh, a similar arrangement was made for previous games. But that's that's one if you happen to have an old school Game Boy collection um, or other ways of playing old school Game Boy games that you could mess around with and see if you could you can find it. I will say as I continue on to this, a lot of these games, the really obvious methods have probably been tried. So like you know, waiting on every screen for five minutes, you're welcome to try. People have probably done it though. So. It may be having to try a completely unknown method uh, to discovering the song to, to locate it. The second one, and now this is a favorite of mine, and we actually talked about it in our most recent music episode, if you haven't listened to that. Um, not Tataka's song specifically, but uh, the game being Wave Race 64, which has a fantastic soundtrack, and you should just listen to it in general. Uh, again, given it's a 64 game, you would think... It may be hidden somewhere in the data files. It obviously has not been found via that method. But there is, I guess, a possibility that it is not done as a singular sound file and is instead uh, a sequence of separate sound effects that uh, are programmed to string together to make the song somehow. There isn't a ton of online documentation of what people have tried beyond, again, waiting on every single screen for... 10 minutes a piece to hope it starts playing so there may be just another method there again maybe we need to be going somewhere into the konami code and pulling in uh that command uh list in the way it unlocks that other easter egg i talked about from the sequel to wave race but yeah it's it seems odd that it's not there the only my only thoughts are the original game was sponsored by kawasaki and i just wonder if somehow they were like better not do anything weird with this game just like let's keep it very vanilla because it's just in the the middle of his prime there's no other game in that time period that he's not hidden it in and again very few since that have not had the song in it so it's odd that it's not somewhere to be found in that in that game sounds like you need to get the cork board and string out start trying to connect the dots yeah pretty much you know what my current theory, and it's, again, someone's probably debunked it, is that it might be... so, and It's kind of off the back of the Mario Kart one, because, again, the Mario Kart one's the first time I can think of where it's it's like a in-the-background sound effect that you only really get from paying attention and basically just not playing the game and going off to the side of a track <laughs> and listening. I almost wonder if... Like, there's a bunch of seagulls in the game. I almost wonder if a flock of them are, like, harp, you know, making that sound but you just have to go and find them and sort of sit your wave race machine, jet ski or whatever it's called next to them. Or the crowd, again, maybe they're like doing it in certain section of the game. I don't know. But um, again, I haven't found any videos and I was almost tempted last week to go and look because I was just curious. But um, sadly, not on Nintendo Switch Online. So what the hell are you doing, Nintendo? Get that game on Nintendo Switch Online because I can't be bothered pulling out my Wii U where I think I have it on Virtual Console or even my 64 and plugging that in. <laughs> oh, you'll just have to go on a Nintendo Switch Online and just uh, play more Mario Golf on Nintendo 64. What a great game. Yeah, uh, another fun Easter egg, Mario Golf, the, C- the GameCube one with the Pikmin and the, yes. and the flowers. Yeah, that's very fun. Very <laughs> fun indeed. <laughs> yeah. Now, the next game I'm going to mention, obviously the most famous one that it has not been found in, is Wii Sports. Yes, yeah, that that's the one I'm most... Well, I've heard more about because that's the one always yeah. people are trying to find it in. Yeah, because that was um, obviously a very popular game. I mean, it, every almost every Wii owner has it, and it's not a big game. So there's not a lot of places to hide a song in that game, as you can imagine. Uh, so the options to finding it are very limited, and people have done everything. Uh, obviously you know, bowled a 300 game and waited on the screen 
the 10 minutes, 15 minutes and recorded that on YouTube. There's, you know, every other screen, perfect baseball games, you know, perfect boxing rounds, the whole shebang, and no one's been able to locate it. Uh, and again, it's very odd. It, if, he, if he never put it in a, a game afterwards, I'd be more inclined to say he just got told to stop, but he has put it in other games since then. My only thoughts are maybe because it's like, this is going to get bundled with the Wii we don't want it to be weird again. Like, I don't know why that anyone would care to that degree that hiding a song would be too alienating, I guess, to, to casual fans. Um, but maybe that's something that drove it. Totaka also did the Wii menu and Wii, a lot of the channel themes. So um, I think it makes sense that it's not hidden in any of those because that, that is literally the interface of the console. Though I think it would have been cool if he, he did hide it in any of those channels. But yeah, Wii Sports is one that it's just feels like it should be there but it's not and i think we talked about pop fiction earlier and they had an episode it's very interesting where they thought they found it and they declared them that they had found it basically their theory was it was the tennis ball hits in we sport tennis obviously that when you took the each consecutive hit and timed it to the song they were actually the note to the song but that was later debunked because what turns out, and you know, so, you know, a lot of music psychologists probably know what I'm about to say. Uh, if you string together a bunch of sounds to the same timing as a, any song, it's just going to sound like that song. Like your brain kind of fills in the gaps and <laughs> yep. makes them sound like the, those notes, even though they're not actually those notes. But it's also worth noting that because when I talk about this patterns to how the song is hidden, we haven't had one where it requires you to go outside of the game and reorder or retime notes to make it work. It just plays in the correct order in the game. So to me, the idea that the notes are there, but you can't, you have to do something outside of the game to, to shift them so that they're actually playing in the correct order or the correct timing is, I, I don't think it's likely that that's going to be the solution personally. I mean, again, if you want to go on a hunt and try that method, <laughs> go ahead. I just think that's, not likely and quite frankly if that was what happened i think it's a bit out of the spirit of of what hiding a song like that should be about i agree with you and i hope that um you're successful in your journey of finding it maybe yeah. you will be the one zach maybe 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 and will it, i wonder if we'll be in the new wii sports if tataka is composing it yeah that's what i was about to say because the day we're recording is the day of nintendo switch sports coming out and I'm, i haven't played it yet uh, I'm going to probably straight after this. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if he worked on it or not, because um, if you look at Tataka's composing history, there are some series he's very consistently on and others that he just comes in on and then goes away. You know, like he did Pikmin 2, but he didn't do 1 or 3, and he did uh, Luigi's Mansion 1, but not any of the other ones. Uh, he's done all the Animal Crossings, at least in some capacity, but he doesn't necessarily stick around, is, is I guess my point. So who knows if he's worked on it. I mean... I've tried to look online. No one's posted a credits yet uh, or, or confirmed it. But, you know, as soon as I can find credits in the game, I'm going to look. And if he's listed, I'm certainly going to have a look in Nintendo Switch Sports because that's, again, a lot more accessible right now than my, my copy of Wii Sports. Oh, just surely you can just um, take the layer of dust off your Wii and uh, go for it. I could potentially, but, uh, yeah, no, uh, I'm a bit lazy, to be honest with you. <laughs> just quickly, I doubt it's in here, but obviously... Tatak is listed as a contributor on most Smash games since Brawl. I would have thought it would have been very clever of Sakurai to work with him and hide it in Brawl, given Smash is such a great compiler of Nintendo history and secrets. It, it seems like the perfect game to, to feature it, but I'm pretty sure, again, he just worked as a contributor to certain songs, and thus that's why it's very unlikely hidden in any of the Smash games. But, you know, again, if you're playing a lot of Smash and you just kind of feel like messing around and spending a lot of time on some menus go ahead <laughs> the next big one and this is big because he wasn't a composer on this he was actually the game director was uh the infamous Wii music maybe that's one where you can play it with the instruments yeah and perhaps it is and maybe that is what needs to trigger it and that's why it hasn't been found uh, i think also combined with the game not being particularly popular hasn't hasn't led to a lot of um people hunting in it because they just don't have the game uh, and it's not fun. <laughs> uh, I am one who actually bought that game on clearance during the Wii heyday, specifically to find the song to try. 
uh, and a lot, I've spent a, a good amount of time experimenting and trying to find ways to to make it work. Haven't successfully done so, but yeah, if you, I don't know if it's on Wii U Virtual Console or anything like that, but if, if you have a way of accessing Wii Music, it's potentially one that will be more interactive. Uh, again, as you said, Brendan, the whole point of that game is to shake your Wii remote and it'll just make some sounds and you kind of hope it plays a song at the end. So maybe there is a combination there that will trigger his song to play. All right, Zach, you better get your turn your Wii on and uh, start trying to play Tataka's song badly using the Wii mode. You know you want to do yep, it. Yep, I, I certainly, certainly do. But yeah, I mean, and that, and that kind of rounds out, I think, from memory, all the games where he's definitely listed as a composer or something where it hasn't been found, which is, again, because all the more recent ones... Um, he has, he has hidden it. It's been found, and, and uh, I think that's very cool. So it feels like it should be in there. I mean, maybe it's just the completionist in me feels like, God, how could you skip four random games uh, or three or four random games to to not include it in? It just doesn't make... Oh, sorry, there is one other, but it's not English, and that's why I didn't bring it up. It's like a Japanese cooking guide game on the DS, I, I believe. So, yeah, I guess if you feel like importing a Japanese cooking guide that you can't read, or maybe you can, go ahead and give that a whirl. But, yeah, anyway, point is, you know, if you're really bored or you just like the idea of doing an Easter egg hunt and getting that internet fame from being the one to find it, particularly Wii Sports. If you ever found found it in Wii Sports, you'd be an internet legend, I think, at this this stage. Um, That is one where the hunt continues uh, and again, something to look forward to in future games, right? Like if you see or hear of Tataka working on a game and no one's reported having found the song, some little extra thing to to look for when you're playing through your game in the future. From the last 10, 20 minutes, I think I've just come out with, with the view that you just want to become an internet legend, Zach. I, I never knew that. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, so what you should do is find the song in Wii Sports, then tell me, and then I will tell the world. <laughs> I think that's only fair. <laughs> yes, be selfless so you can be selfish. Correct, yes, yes. And, you know, I'm sure there are a ton of other similarly difficult or sought-after Easter egg hunts going on, in particular fandoms. Obviously, I'm more in tap with the Nintendo fandom, but I'm sure there's a bunch of others um, around there. So, you know, if you listen to this, let us know some of the, the coolest Easter egg hunts or secrets that you've found or are still looking for, potentially, because I'd love to, I love to read that stuff. It's, it's, again, one of my favorite things in games is hidden secrets. As we've just outlined, well, it's, there's just something fun about the hunt and uh, it's fun about finding those things that people know might be there but haven't found yet. And I think that's probably so, what's so attractive about the Tatakas song um huts in that well we know it's something that exists in a lot of the games that he's composed he stated and it's something that people are always looking for because they think it's definitely there and maybe it's also sort of a bit of an in joke that he doesn't put it in everything and that he wants everyone to sort of mindlessly just sitting at home laughing at, at all of us spending 10 minutes on like the wii sports like game over screen hoping to, to see to hear his song well, exactly. I think it's um, it's quite charming in many ways. It, it very much is a fantastic example of that particular type of Easter eggs that involves a, a hunt, that involves that exploration aspect of playing games in different ways to try to find something. And I think that is exciting in itself. Now, if you spotted the Easter egg in this podcast that we've hidden, I want you to let us know. And there's a few ways you can contact us. Brendan, do you want to walk through the audience how they could notify us that they they found the Easter egg we've planted within the podcast? Of course, and it actually does exist. I think Zach might be just using rhetoric, but there actually is an Easter egg in there in that I haven't discussed it yet. But uh, one of my favourite Easter eggs was discussed in this episode. So if you can find it and if you think you know me well enough to point it out, you can contact us on email via blowingcartridge at gmail.com. You can go on uh, social media on Twitter or Facebook at blowcartpod. You can find myself on Twitter at Tamazoid. You can find Zach, as always, on Twitter at Eggerino. 
and you can go on any podcasting services. Most of them uh, allow you to review. You can leave a five-star review. You can leave a review and tell us what the answer to this Easter egg is. You can leave a review and tell us uh, why we're the best podcast about video games and why we should keep on making episodes. And also you can criticize us for not having regular episodes lately. Uh, The choice is yours. I hear that five-starring our podcast on Apple is one of the methods, like the first steps in finding any Easter egg that we've hidden. So you better do that before anything else. And no, despite the fact me being Egorino, I am not the Easter egg. But sometimes I am the Easter egg. But not this is not the Easter egg to find uh, at this point in time. Uh, yeah, well, thank you, Brendan. And as you said, we'll we'll hopefully be back soon. Um, but who knows? I'll probably get stuck in in Wii Music for a good you know three weeks uh, doing a deep dive. So I need to finish that up first before we can record again. So I'll let you know once I've um, either given up again on finding the song there, or I've uh, or I found it. And in which case, I'll. Be so famous. Who knows? Maybe I won't want to want to record with you again. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, have an excellent uh, evening. Goodbye, everyone, and uh, cue the Wii music. Music. No way. That's Wii Sports. <laughs> I don't remember it. <laughs> Senor Toot. That's all I remember. And Robbie drums. <laughs> <laughs>